Welcome to episode three of Hurdle. Today's episode is brought to you by my sponsor, Ultra Shoes. I tried on my first pair of Ultras about four years ago now, and I immediately noticed a difference in the forefoot compared to other brands I'd been wearing. You see, Ultra designs their shoes with a wider toe box, which really allows your toes to relax and spread out naturally. And that might be just the upgrade you need for your next run. I definitely encourage you to check them out. Again, that's Ultra A-L-T-R-A Shoes. If you're just joining me at home, my name is Emily Abadi, your lovely host. I am a certified trainer, a run coach, also a writer, editor, and now podcaster living here in New York City. Feel free to check me out on social at Emily Abadi. That's A-B-B-A-T-E. Now, a little bit about Hurdle, which you can find also on social media at Hurdle Podcast. Hurdle is a bi-weekly podcast that showcases people who got to a tough time in their life, a hurdle of sorts, and leaned into wellness to get over it. In this modern world we live in, filled with anxiety and pressure and obscene amounts of competition, wellness in all of its forms is an outlet. And that can look like a lot of things, right? It can maybe mean starting a new fitness routine, trying running or yoga. Maybe it's adopting a new way of eating and becoming plant-based, mindfulness and meditations, crystals, the list goes on. You get the gist. Hurdle brings you their stories, the lessons they learned, and hopefully gives you the push you need to live a healthier, happier, more motivated life. Today on Hurdle, we have Fred Santarpia, the Chief Digital Officer of Condé Nast. Fred has been a good friend of mine for a few years now. Really excited to have him sitting across this table from me and to bring you a little bit of his story. So without further ado, I could speak to all of your accolades, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, sure. So my name is Fred Santarpia. I'm the Chief Digital Officer of Condé Nast, and I've been in the digital media space now for probably about 15 years um, in various various parts of the industry. Um, joined Condé in 2012 to launch the video division of the company, which I did for about two years, um, and then uh, took over all of digital for Condé in 2014 basically driving the digital strategy for all of our brands like Vogue, Vanity Fair, GQ, Wired, The New Yorker, about 20 brands in all. And before I was at Connie Nast, um, I helped launch a company named Vivo, which is the leading company in the music video, online music video space, and really grew up in the music industry. Spent about 10 years in the music industry during a very interesting time of change for that industry. Uh, and prior to that, uh, Graduated from Villanova, started out actually in finance and accounting, which is its own story for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, just happy to be here today. You know, we have this rivalry. Which rivalry is that? This UConn, University of Connecticut Huskies rivalry. That's not a real rivalry. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but Villanova is number one in the country right now. I am well aware. <laughs> Impressive resume you have here, Fred. Thank you. But obviously, what we're here to talk about might have come a little before this. The first question I start out with, talk to me a little bit about your hurdle moment. So, um, you know, my hurdle moment goes back a really, really long way. Um, 
when uh, I was a kid, I suffered from really, really aggressive bullying. And that was really consistent for a very, very long period of time. And I actually had a moment where the bullying got so out of hand that I ended up in the hospital. And um, I was literally picked up off the floor and thrown through a plate glass window. And I passed out, I was bleeding all over the place. It was, clothing was shredded. I mean, you, it was like out of a movie. Um, and, you know, that was a moment, kind of like a turning point where, you know, years and years of bullying as a young kid, when I got to that age and that had happened, it was like, okay, this is enough. Like, you know, this has to stop. And you have to figure out ways to basically protect yourself. Um, and that was really like, that was really my hurdle moment that got me into, you know, exercise and wellness and fitness. Because at the time I was probably, you know, the most unathletic, like non-physical, you know, kid in school, right? Didn't participate in any sports, wasn't on any teams, <laughs> had terrible hand-eye coordination. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty pathetic all the way around, right? So... Um, and I was an easy target. So I was an easy target for for uh, bigger kids. So that was a moment for me where I can I can specifically remember uh, laying in the, laying in a hospital bed and having glass picked out of my legs and my butt. And I was like, I, this is we're done. We're done with this. No one wants that. So that was my hurdle moment. So you say that to get kind of over this hurdle, you started to work out. Yeah, I got really into I got really into exercise because it was it was a clear it seemed to be a clear path I could I could control and I bought every piece of workout equipment I could possibly find and shoved it into my parents' basement. So I had all those old like Bowflex machines and then I had like pull up bars and punching bags. I mean, it was really a 1980s homemade gym. It was really out of control, um, and I spent. I probably spent, I would say in those days when I was like 15, 14, 15, three hours a day, six days a week, really just working out. And, you know, the amazing thing, amazing thing about that when you're that age is that you're, you can make progress really, really quickly. And because um, your body is not used to it, your body responds really fast when you start a new program and, and, and you're very consistent about it. And immediately noticed a change, not just, in, I, I had noticed less of a change in my own physique, had noticed more of a change in how others began to engage with me, mm -hmm. which became very telling, right? And nothing had changed about who I was or how I engaged people or how I acted. But the sheer fact that I, I looked like I was athletic or, you know, I looked like I could physically take care of myself completely changed how the rest of the world engaged with me. Mm -hmm. And that became something that when I felt that, I started leaning in, you know, even even more heavily. Right. So you say you leaned in. So do you think that obviously with this change um, in your physique a little bit, that your confidence also shifted? Um, not really. I could say I'm still very, <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm still very, I'm very introverted. Like I'm not an outgoing guy who likes to, talk about himself um i certainly to get didn't get like more aggressive in like sports or school or anything like that um i was very fortunate 
that when I left high school and I went to college, I found like a really good group of friends that I felt very comfortable with. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, we were very, you know, we were very, my, and so socially things changed for me a little bit, but, um, but no, I actually felt if anything, like, you know, the, the interesting thing about exercise, particularly when you're weight training, it can be, if you want it to be a very, um, isolated thing, right. It can be pursued on an individual basis. It's not a team sport, right? So in a lot of ways, if you're not careful, you can actually, you know, become less confident because your social skills, you don't have to lean on your social skills and your ability to figure out how to, how to be a better teammate, right? You can just, you can rely on yourself more and that can actually work against you in terms of your confidence. You start working out, you feel a little bit better about yourself. Your confidence hasn't changed. You're still introverted. Yeah, pretty much. But you're kind of coming of age where you're into college and then you're thinking about your career. Where do you start to see the lessons that you're kind of picking up with this time that you're spending with yourself really translating into what you're putting out into oh, the world? I mean, this, it translates on so many different so many different fronts. And I really, I knew I was going to talk to you. So I thought about a couple of the things that really kind of apply and you know the first one is definitely consistency. Like you learn that in order to make progress, you know, on anything that you're doing, it doesn't matter if it's a sport, a, a life skill, you know, in the gym, you know, at the office, you have to be consistent in what you practice, right? So working out and saying to myself, I'm not going to miss my workouts. I'm going to go to the gym, you know, five, six days a week. I'm going to be rigorous about my schedule. Like that applies to everything I've done professionally. Like you have to be consistent in your approach, right? And, you know, the other thing I would say that kind of hit me right away is that you also realize that progress is iterative, right? There, there are no, you know, there are no silver bullets, right? There are no switches that just flip, right? And that that's true in exercise and fitness, whether you're running a marathon and you're training to, you know, get your, your stamina up or, you know, you're looking to, you know, you know, lift heavier weights, right? It's just, it's a, it's a progress thing. And in the workplace, it's the same way, right? I mean, you make progress iteratively over time. You just don't wake up and have really quick wins. And I think sometimes what I find at work is that people struggle with the fact that things, they perceive that things take too long and that they don't happen right away. And it's really because you haven't put in the work, Mm -hmm. right? And when you put in the work, right? And you really, and you really hone your craft. That's when you start to see real results. So I think those were were two things that, that really stood out, but there's a lot of other things I could say. (laughs) I mean, really, it goes on and on. What do you think at first, um, aside from aesthetics, really kept you going back into the basement, so to speak? What kept you going after it? Were you enjoying it? Were you not enjoying it? Like, how did you feel when you were down there? I felt great, but it was always, for me, it was always about just being a little bit better than I was previously. Right. That's to me what it's all about. And there's always, there's always a challenge and you always focus on different things, but really the opportunity to just continually force yourself to improve and be better. That's something that I have striven for, you know, physically, emotionally, right? Certainly professionally. And in in my career, I've looked for, you know, I've looked for things that, you know, force me to learn and, you know, challenge me and are maybe unexpected. You know, I spent a long time in music and then I was in video and then it was like, 
okay, well, do you want to go work for a publishing company? And that's very different. And I think you, you have to look for those opportunities in life to keep figuring out ways to continue to learn and continue to, to push yourself forward. And that's one thing that I think, you know, I learned out of ac- regular exercise really early on. Yeah. And I know, I mean, you just touched on it a little bit, but this idea of continually just strive for better. I mean, we're sitting here in One World Trade right now. We definitely uh, weren't thinking about this kind of scenario like 10, 15 years ago. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> I, the fact that I have had any degree of career success in time surprises me. <laughs> I mean, I started out in, in like in hardcore accounting and I was the world's worst accountant and I was drifting and, um, you know, really just applying that kind of those principles of like realizing you, you can't be afraid to start. Like if you don't want to, like for me professionally, if I didn't want to be an accountant, I had to start taking steps to not be an accountant. Right. And, you know, if you, if you want to get in shape and you want to be physically healthy, you've got to, you can't be afraid to start taking the steps and that progress. I didn't get out of accounting overnight. It took me seven years really to, to, take accounting jobs and finance jobs and prove that I was learning enough and I can do more outside of what my college degree said I was qualified to do, right? And, you know, not being afraid to go down that road, make little steps along the way, and eventually ladder that up to a larger goal, I think is, you know, what makes what makes the difference. Hey everyone, taking a quick break from today's episode to thank my sponsor, Ultra Shoes. Ultra was created by a couple of guys, Golden Harper and Brian Beckstead and the Utah Melons, who truly believed that they had a better way to design running sneakers. Now, like I mentioned before, your toes have room to spread out naturally in these shoes. There's also no elevated heel. And because men and women's feet are anatomically different, the brand offers gender-specific fit. I've met these guys before several times. It's clear they are so passionate about what they do. And the shoes they make are getting constant praise. A sneaker of theirs called the Escalante won Runner's World's Editor's Choice Award this past summer. So yeah, they're definitely onto a good thing. Again, it's Ultra Shoes. Give them a look-see at ultrarunning.com. That's A-L-T-R-A running.com. Do you buy into the mindfulness stuff, Brad? I'm not a meditator, although I I, I believe in the power of meditation. Okay, let's explain that a little so, bit. So, I look. I, I I think meditation is very valuable. I haven't been able to calm my mind enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that. Where where I'm able to actually get the value out of it. Um, I I feel like I'm too much on the go, but I I know that if I did spend the time, I probably. I probably would get some value. So yeah, look, I'm a big believer in overall wellness and health. Um, I'm a, a big believer in a healthy diet. I don't diet ever in the traditional sense of the word, but you know, you try and eat healthy and you know find balance and and all that. Um, but you know, the key to my to my wellness program is really really making sure that I'm getting my exercise in and I'm I'm finding the time to sweat. 
talk to me a little bit about self-doubt. I feel like everyone, to an extent, probably indulges in it a little bit. So do you find that you occasionally indulge in self-doubt? And then how do you kind of handle that for yourself? All the time. I think, um, you know, the, the, the important stuff is the stuff that you're going to be afraid of. You know, you're, you're, and it's okay to have that fear. Um, I think when you're, when you're challenged and you're not sure if you can, those are important and defining moments for, for you in terms of how you, how you rise up. So, you know, I think self-doubt is something that all of us, you know, face at different parts, but it's important to just, I, I have this belief that, you know, you know, why not you? Right. And, you know, growing up, it felt like the culture I belonged to was a culture of, of, there was a lot of fear in that culture that you can't do this. You can't do that. Someone else is going to be successful at that. You should do something safe, something predictable. Right. And there are plenty of people who, if passionate about the work, right. And put in the time and have the talent, why not you? And why not take your shot? And, you know, there have been times where as a, a guy with an accounting degree has end up, ended up in a room with some of the most creative and powerful executives on the planet. And I like to think that I sometimes hold my own. <laughs> sure, I know you. <laughs> and that's only, that's only because, you know, I didn't back away from, from the challenge. It's not because I was better than anybody else or smarter than anybody else, but you, know, you put in the work and you're thoughtful enough and, you know, sometimes you come through and when you don't, that's okay too. You learn, you learn from that also. No one's win record, you know, is, you know, a thousand percent, right? That's, that's okay. And you learn that another, you know, like I, as a phrase that I use with the team, if you don't have plan B, then you don't have plan. And, you know, that basically means things change, unexpected things happen that you don't expect. Life throws lots of curveballs at you. And if, you know, and sometimes your plans don't work. And if you need to pivot and change what you're doing in order to get to the goal a different way, that's okay. Right. And, you know, that's, again, it's something I've learned. I've learned that from, you know, exercise too. If you do it long enough, you realize that, you know, maybe your elbow is going to go maybe your knee, maybe your shoulder, maybe you can't do what you always used to do. And maybe you need to change it up, right? And try something new. And, you know, I think that, again, just relates back into everyday life. Obviously, you uh, you have a lot of exposure overseeing brands like Self here at Condé Nast. What do you think about the direction overall that like the wellness industry is going right now? I mean, it's everywhere. Well, it's gigantic. It's never been, you know, pun intended, it's never been healthier, right? I mean, it's bigger than it's ever been. Um, it's, it, and I think that's because there's a natural interest in it. And we all, I think many people, you know, want to be healthier, want to find balance. So I think the challenge, you know, the challenge for us as, you know, publishers is to make sure that we're presenting information that we believe in, that's, you know, you know, truthful and, you know, fact-checked. And, you know, that's an important part of an important part of what we try and do, because it's obviously, I mean, you can go on the internet and I mean, there's so much misinformation out there and you can pull up, you know, articles on, you know, a hundred different topics and they'll tell you a hundred different things and who do you believe? So that's very, very challenging from that perspective with the amount of noise that's out there. If someone is going to the internet, how do they even know? How do they even know these days? I feel like it's like, how do you know that the information that you're looking for is the right information? Well, that's why brands are important, right? I mean, whether it's a brand or, or an individual or an influencer, like there's, a, there's an element of trust there, 
right? So in a sea of noise, when you see a brand like South that you know and you recognize and that has been doing this for a really long time, right? You, you tend to put a bit more credibility into what those authorities are saying than you do from some of these other sites that just pop up out of nowhere. And I think that's true for influencers too. There's plenty of influencers that I see in the fitness community that, you know, are, you know, have their followings. And when they put out information, they've, they've got that connection and trust with their audience um, that people come to believe in and rely upon. Something I'm interested to know, uh, you meet someone and they're just like you and they're 16 and they're picked on and they're bullied and they're confused. What do you say to that person? I tell them to get started. Yeah. You know, get started. It seems when you're, when you're that age, it seems like anything you want to do is so far off. And I think, you know, anybody can just get started. And to me, that's the sick. That first step, actually, it's cliched, but it's cliched for a reason because it's true. It's it's the most important thing that you can do and not have that fear to take that first step. And the other thing I would say, at least that benefited me really early on, surround yourself with you know, people that you believe are better than you, right? If you want to be better at running, go hang out with a bunch of people who run all the time. Right, <laughs> and they will force you to run faster. So this is why we don't hang out. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. When I, when I was in high school, I was well, actually, my maybe my freshman year of college, I worked out with a guy who was like, I don't know, like six to three hundred plus pounds, and he was an absolute animal. And I got more strength in like the six months that I worked out with this kid than at any other point in time in my life because we were just doing the same workouts and I was doing a lot less than he was. But by nature of like not wanting to just be totally embarrassed every time I stepped into the gym with him, you just you up your game a little bit. So find people that are on the road to where you want to go and maybe a couple of steps ahead of you and and they'll force you to they'll force you to go faster. In your career, who have been some of those people for you or what have I guess, in what way have they inspired you in different ways? Because we're talking about like you just completely shifting gears. So who were you looking at? And you were like, oh. Well, I, I really, I can't say I was looking at anyone, at anyone but I, I realized I realized early on there's a value to hiring people who are better than you. And not everybody does that. One thing I, I encounter a lot in business is that people will hire people that they think are are less talented than them so that their light doesn't shine any less bright, right? And I've made it a career rule to hire the most talented people that I could find. And I will tell you, the team that's been with me, you know, for a long time now, you know, six, seven years through multiple companies are smarter and more talented than I am in their respective fields on every level. And when you have a great squad, you know, it's really tough to get stopped because the momentum of that is just tremendous. So I would say, you know, that really the, the big inspiration for me there is if you want to be better at something else, you find people who are really excellent at that and, and you lean into them. Who do you find your biggest sources for support are these days? Oh, um, well, for sure, my girlfriend, Sarah, um, who just relocated from uh, Texas to New York. And, you know, and her and I, you know, we share a common love of fitness. So we're always working out together, which I love. Um, and she actually forces me to, 
get out of the weight room and do things like yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be there for that. <laughs> Which I, I actually enjoy. I, I enjoy yoga. It's a lot of fun. I don't do it all the time, but I do enjoy it when, uh, when we do do it. Um, my brother, for sure. I mean, my brother, I have one brother and, you know, he's been my best friend since, you know, we were kids and we went to college together and, you know, you know, we've been on a, a similar path over the years. So, um, certainly my brother and, and I've just got a great family. I'm blessed that I've got an excellent foundation in life and I can always return to that foundation. And as you get older and you meet more people, you realize that not everybody's blessed with that same kind of clarity and foundation. And, you know, when you, when you don't have that, you know, it can be hard because it forces you to, it forces you to, to kind of go it alone a little bit and no one's got to go it completely alone. In order to get over any hurdle in life, you need to kind of think ahead and think about what you want and envision uh, some sort of path. What do you uh, advise for someone who's kind of setting out on their own journey? How do they set those initial goals? What do they keep in mind when they're thinking about the things that they want? I think don't, don't, you know, it's good to have vision for the future. It's good to have vision for the future and, and what your people talk about five year plans and, and 10 year plans. I'm a bit more simplistic than that. Um, life is short and you don't know how long you're going to get. And this is my philosophy. So, you know, what can you do today, right? And how can you be better than you were yesterday? And it's, it's very simple, right? Like you're living for the moment. And, you know, yes, long-term health is really important to me. And I, I think it will always be part of my life. But I'm not, I'm really not giving a lot of thought to where I'm going to be three months from now you know to me it's about i just want to be a little bit healthier i just want to try and be a little bit healthier than i was yesterday and it's you know it's kind of as simple as that and i'm a big believer in goal visualization and, and all of that i think that really does help when you're thinking about long-term goals but i would say don't make it so overwhelming for yourself have the vision but also be comfortable in breaking it down into those kind of bite-sized pieces I love it. I love bite size. Makes it <laughs> makes it easier. Bite size candy. We all love bite size. Bite size tips. <laughs> um, I think we're good, Fred. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. If you're still listening, please take a moment to leave a quick review of what's happening here by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. We heard about Fred's. You've heard about mine. I want to hear about yours. Please reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at hurdle podcast. And of course, feel free to stalk us both a little bit too on the interwebs. Fred, what's your social handle? Just F Santarpia. That's all we look for. Yep. I'm at Emily Abadi. I'm excited to keep learning and growing with all of you. Another hurdle conquered. See you guys next time. Thank you.